0: Welcome to Transit Unplugged, I'm your host Paul Comfort, and this is the world's leading transit executive podcast heard in 99 countries around the world. This month of March, we're excited to dive into the state of California here in the U.S. of A., where today we interview Mr. David Kim, Secretary of Transportation for the whole state of California. And in two weeks, we'll have another interview with another California leader, Tilly Chang. She's the executive director of the San Francisco County Transportation Authority. Both of them are great interviews that I know you'll enjoy. Today, David talks to us about what it's like to run a major massive agency like the Department of Transportation in the state of California, America's largest state. We also talk in depth about the high-speed rail project going on there the role of zero-emission buses and vehicles in California, and autonomous vehicles. Plus, at the end, we're introducing a new uh, trend I want to try for a few episodes, and that is a lightning round with our guests. We talk about their hobbies, books they're reading, what music they like, what pets they have, an opportunity for you to get to know these transit executive leaders that we interview on a regular basis. Thanks for being with us today on this episode. I know you'll enjoy this interview with David Kim, Secretary of Transportation for the State of California. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. We're excited today to make a a first for our show as Transit Unplugged has been around for over three years, and we interview CEOs of Transit Systems. And today is our first CEO or secretary, in this case, of a Department of Transportation. That's right. We're happy to have America's largest state represented today. David Kim, Secretary of Transportation from the state of California here in the United States. Thank you so much, David, for being our
1: guest. Thanks, Paul. It's great to uh, be with you today and uh, really welcome this opportunity to talk to you.
0: Yeah, David and I are uh, buddies from back a ways ago, and you've had quite a career, David. I mean, so Secretary of Transportation is, uh, is quite an important job, especially for a state like California that really is a leader, especially in things transportation and environment related, not only for our country, but really for the world, I think. And so I think people would be interested to know a little bit about about your job and how you got there. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your career, and then we'll talk about the agency itself and what it is you all do there.
1: Sure. Well, let's go all the way back to childhood. Okay. Not (laughs) to tell you my entire life story, because that would be really boring, but people ask me all the time, how the heck did you get into transportation and why not something sexier or more compelling like international relations or healthcare, education, national defense, on and on. And so it goes all the way back to the opening of the BART subway system. That was back in the 1970s. I was in elementary school at the time. And one day my dad suggested we hop in the car, drive to Berkeley, and take a ride on the brand new subway. So uh, the entire family went. It was a family outing. And I was completely mesmerized by the experience, and it made a lasting impression on me. And it may be hard to imagine it was state of the art, modern at the time. And as most of your listeners probably know, a portion of the BART subway system is elevated. So you're gliding over Berkeley, Oakland, other parts of the East Bay, and you're watching the world go by. I found it completely fascinating and I was hooked. And then another equally life-changing experience was taking Amtrak for the very first time. My family and I went on a summer vacation to Vancouver, British Columbia, We took Amtrak from Davis, California to Vancouver. And this was in the very early days of Amtrak when it first got started. I remember it was a two-day trip. And just like riding on BART, the experience was unforgettable. And I just found it so captivating. So I I guess you could say BART and Amtrak were responsible for planting a seed inside a young kid. And then a few years later, my first job out of college was working for a state senator in California, and that's when I saw transportation planning up close and personal, uh, because at that time, the LA Metro Rail subway system was being developed, and I attended so many meetings with the transit agency, which at the time was known as the Southern California Rapid Transit District, now LA Metro, and I spent a ton of time with homeowner groups, business organizations, and others um, who had strong opinions with the proposed alignment. Some of them loved it, many were opposed, but clearly all of them had a stake. And that experience really opened my eyes to what transportation investment can do for our community in terms of changing it in dramatic ways. And it also gave me a a close-up look at the nuts and bolts of transportation planning and the very intense local politics surrounding it. And then while attending graduate school, we learned about the nature of intergovernmental relationships. How do federal, state, and local governments interact with one another? Are they, are, Is the relationship cooperative, contentious, or non-existent? And it, it occurred to me then and there that transportation perfectly captures the importance of intergovernmental cooperation and partnership, maybe more than any other activity. So fast forward, and here we are in 2021, and I've had the incredible fortune of being able to work at all levels of government, local, state, federal, uh, and the private sector as well. I lived and worked in the D.C. area for 25 years. And while in D.C., I did a stint in the auto industry, working for Hyundai Motor Company, and also spent eight years in the Obama administration at the Department of Transportation and Federal Highway Administration. And I think all of those experiences and others prepared me well for this current role as Secretary of Transportation in So, um, taking on this role has been a homecoming of sorts, and it has been so gratifying to play a leadership role in the state where I was born and raised.
0: Isn't that great? Yeah. Home, hometown boy done good. That's, as we say, yeah. That's great, man. So, of course, the capital of California, some people may not know this, is Sacramento, which is kind of near the north, right? The northern part of the state? Correct. And so, you work for the governor, Right. Right. Yeah. So who's the governor in California? Tell us a little bit about all that process and how you interact with the governor and all that. I think people will be interested
1: in that. Sure thing. Yeah. Governor Gavin Newsom elected in 2018. So, and and he took office in early 2019. And we've gotten to know each other really well in the time he's been on the job and I've been on the job. We interact on a regular basis. He is a very well-spoken, he's very intellectual too. He, He reads a lot. And, and I admire that a lot about him. He, he's always reading books. He has a great communication style, uh, a really rich and very sophisticated vocabulary. And it's just a joy to work with him. It's great to be a part of his team. And as you can imagine, since the pandemic began, it has been all hands on deck for everybody in Governor Newsom's cabinet, all of us, even though we're not in the healthcare business. Clearly, we are immersed in it. And our role at the California State Transportation Agency since the pandemic began has been to solve problems in real time, especially when it comes to logistics and the supply chain to make sure that essential goods get to where they need to go. And we've also been in regular communication with all of our transportation stakeholders in California, whether they be, whether it be ports, airports, transit agencies, California Trucking Association, and many others, because we wanted to know how the pandemic was impacting their operations in real time. And so we've been in touch with them on a regular basis just to make sure we keep that line of communication open and hear from them and help them address their problems. So it's been all hands on deck, really intense. Of course, with vaccine distribution now top of mind for many, we're interacting and engaging with all of our stakeholders as well um, as vaccine distribution really ramps up. And I think we're going to see supply go way up in the weeks and months ahead. So that is good news. I think there's reason to be hopeful and optimistic for the future as we hopefully come to the end of this pandemic.
0: That's good, especially now that there's so many additional responsibilities being placed on people in government, in addition to all your normal duties running the Department of Transportation, which hopefully we'll get a chance to walk through. Now you've got this added, all these environmental crises, you know, the fires, and now the freezing, and, and now COVID, and all these things. I'm going to ask you kind of what may seem like a, a funny question, but It's always stuck in my head. My son, when I got the job as uh, CEO of the MTA, he said to me, uh, "How do you know what to do, Dad? You've got thousands of employees and all this stuff you've got. your How do you know what to do?" And and so philosophically, I guess is what I'm for people who are in the public transit and government industries. You're in a role where you're overseeing a vast network of transportation operations, and I don't want to call it a bureaucracy because I don't know if it is. But how do you know what to do? How do you prioritize, David, your day-to-day? I mean, it's there's so many things coming at you, right? And all the tough decisions, let me put it this way, all the easy decisions have already been made at lower levels in the organization. It's only the tough decisions, the really tough ones that end up on your desk. So how do you know what to do?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question, Paul. Let me start with a big picture and give give your listeners a little bit of background about the agency. It's called the California State Transportation Agency, or CALSTA. It's a relatively new creation. It was born in 2013, and it was called something else before that. But in 2013, there was a huge government reorganization led by then-Governor Jerry Brown, and that's when CALSTA was born. And we are very large, 40,000 employees. Our annual budget is around $26 billion. And we oversee a total of eight departments as well as boards and commissions. And some of the bigger ones uh, include Caltrans, California Highway Patrol, Department of Motor Vehicles, and the California High-Speed Rail Authority. Those are the big ones in our CalSTA family. And so we are very large, and I try to keep the big picture in mind all the time. And so when I got to CalSTA, I really wanted to create a vision statement for, for what we stand for and who we are and so our vision is is simply this to transform the lives of all californians through a safe accessible low carbon 21st century multimodal transportation system and so that's what we're all about and and that's to, to transform the lives of people and to make their lives better and so i try to keep that firmly in mind as we go about the day to day and to be sure there are day to day matters, challenges, crises to tend to, and we have to work our way through those things, and we do. But I think it's really important to keep in mind what is our purpose, why are we here? And and what are we here to do? And so I always try to keep that in mind throughout all of the nuts and bolts and minutia of everything we do each and every day.
0: That's great. I, I call that a North Star and uh, I think every agency, the, the, the CEO or the executive board or whatever, needs to have that North Star to keep the analogy going. So when it's dark and you don't know where to go, and you, you could still have everybody rowing in the same direction, right? They're all rowing toward that North Star. So that's a wonderful vision statement, David. And so day to day, what are your priorities now? What, what are the big things you're working on now? You mentioned some of them earlier, but if you can elaborate any.
1: Sure. Well, where to begin? There, <laughs> there are so many. Let's talk about climate change. Governor Newsom put out several executive orders on climate change, and we are now in the process of implementing those directives. One of those executive orders, which got a lot of media attention, came out in September of 2020. And that executive order requires all new cars sold in California to be zero emission by 2035 and sales of commercial trucks to be zero emission by 2045. And then on top of that, we're also investing in zero emission public transit and rail, and of course, we're doing everything possible to expand fueling infrastructure for zero emission vehicles, not just on the passenger side, but also medium and heavy duty vehicles, especially transit buses. And and so and then the other other thing is clearly zero emission vehicles are a critically important part of the overall strategy. But one point I, I try to make is that we cannot rely exclusively on vehicle technologies alone we've got to focus on the other side of the coin and that is to strongly encourage greater mode shift reduce vmt and expand multimodal options everything including transit and rail walking and biking micro mobility options e-scooters e-bikes all of those things because we're not going to meet our climate goals without making progress on everything it's the all of the above strategy it's zero emission vehicles plus mode shift and everything else and so how are we going to do that? You ask? Well, we are advancing that part of the equation through something called the Climate Action Plan for Transportation Infrastructure, otherwise known as CAPTI. I know that's a funny acronym, but that's what we called it. And it's an overall framework that will guide the way in which we invest discretionary transportation funds to try as much as we can to prioritize projects that create more travel choices over projects that encourage and accommodate more driving. So that's what we're working on right now. I should also talk for a minute about equity, since we are doing everything now through an equity lens, not just my agency, but all of government in the Newsom administration. So CalSTA put out a statement on racial equity, justice, and inclusion following the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020. And in that statement, we strongly condemn systemic racism and acknowledge that many transportation decisions of the past had a devastating impact on communities of color, and we have a responsibility to own up to that. And we go on to say that if we truly want to enhance quality of life, we need to make sure that transportation systems are designed and delivered in a way that will provide equitable and safe access to opportunity, especially for people of color and disadvantaged communities, and we're going to be part of the solution. And I do think it's critically important to talk about the connection between transportation and racial equity or lack of it. And at the same time, our statement was very well received, but we also know that actions speak louder than words, and it's on us to back it up with action. We're doing that right now. We are seeing deep discussions on race and equity taking place at Caltrans as well as our other departments. And and these are discussions that will impact the kinds of projects that will be funded and built going forward and how our policies can better support racial equity, and also how to fully integrate equity, justice, and inclusion when it comes to planning and decision-making and project delivery. And so the idea is to make sure that equity is front and center and not an afterthought or a talking point, but rather a lens through which we will view all of our decisions and actions. And so that's what what we're focused on. We still have a ways to go, but we are serious about making sure that we do everything through an equity lens.
0: How about You mentioned where we're at on zero-emission vehicles in your state and buses in particular. Where are we at on high-speed rail now? I know that that's gotten a lot of news, a lot of headlines, and I just read a headline recently that said they were going to single-track part of it. So tell us where we're at on that.
1: Right. Well, the good news is that even though we've gone through an economic downturn and obviously we've been going through the pandemic, The high-speed rail project continues to move forward, and it's pretty exciting. If you drive through the Central Valley of California, there are visible signs of progress everywhere you look. So a couple of factoids, more than 5,000 construction jobs in the Central Valley have been created. The vast majority of those construction workers come from the Central Valley. There are 570 small businesses working on the project and a bunch of environmental documents have been released and they are clearing environmental review outside the central valley so what we call the bookends of the project that's the LA basin and the San Francisco bay area so the project is moving forward and economic activity is really eye opening in the central valley it's like 10 to 11 billion wow. and so progress is is underway and what we're really excited about is the fact that there is a new administration in Washington and we are hopeful that it's going to be possible to restore a close working relationship with the Federal Railroad Administration, normal diplomatic relations, if you will. And already, we've seen signs of that. The administrator of FRA, Amit Bose, has put out a really strong, positive, and supportive statement for California high-speed rail. And so we're really hopeful. And also, you might remember uh, a couple of years ago, the previous administration de-obligated a million grant for high-speed rail. We've been in litigation since that action was taken, and we've asked the the Biden administration to re-obligate that grant. And we're also asking FRA to look at possible ways to add some flexibility into the schedule. We currently have a federal deadline of 2022 to complete the federally funded portion of the project in the Central Valley, and we're very hopeful that FRA will be amenable to taking a look at this. So I think we're off to a good start with reestablishing a good partnership and relationship with the Federal Railroad Administration. And also, I think in Congress, there's a lot of momentum and interest in reestablishing a high-speed rail program, funding program. Congressman Jim Costa of California just introduced a bill to authorize a significant sum of money for high-speed rail, not just in California, but nationwide. So I think there's a lot of momentum and interest in in reinvigorating high-speed rail throughout the country.
0: Do you have a timeline on when you think people might be able to be riding it?
1: We're looking at the latter part of this decade. So, the late 2020s to the early 2030s, somewhere in that neighborhood, we believe we'll be in a position to run service through the Central Valley in, in a viable way. And people can see how transformative it will be to get on a high speed rail and travel through California.
0: When not everybody knows what we mean when we say high speed, what kind of speeds are we talking about, do you think?
1: we're looking at the in the in the 220 mile per hour range somewhere give or take in in that in that uh, general general range that's something
0: that's very fast when when i used to run the mark train service into union station here we had the fastest commuter trains in america at the time there were 136 miles per hour so you're talking 80 miles per hour faster than that that is hauling so that's good more like what you see over in europe i mean a lot of us have been over there and ridden high speed trains. I rode the one in China and have ridden the one in France. And it's just phenomenal. The experience is phenomenal.
1: It is. And as I said, it's going to transform the nature of travel everywhere in California, but beyond California as well. People are going to say, well, why didn't we do this decades <laughs> ago? Especially I agree. when it's been around in Europe and Asia and other parts of the world. it's It's about time.
0: Yeah. How long is the initial segment going to be when you uh, remember they shortened it some, right? So how many miles are we talking about now? Do you know?
1: It's uh, it's roughly 171 miles from Merced to Bakersfield. And so that's that's the vast majority of the Central Valley. That's great. And it goes uh, through three, three of the largest, fastest growing cities in the Central Valley, which is Merced, Fresno and Bakersfield.
0: Okay. Very good. Well, we're excited about that. I'm I'm thrilled to see it moving forward. I think it will, like you said at the very beginning, you said people say, "Well, why don't I do something more sexy and not transportation?" Transportation is sexy, if you ask me. And those kind of things, like high-speed rail, are what we're talking about, right? And there's there's lots of other new mobility things happening. Maybe you could comment on some of them, from autonomous vehicles to the micro transit that you mentioned. So all kinds of new customer experience improvements that are happening right now. Can you talk to any of them that your department is helping to lead the way on?
1: Sure. Yeah, autonomous vehicles in California have gone through testing over the past several years. About 2 million autonomous test miles were done last year alone. And what my agency has been doing over the past year is coordinating and working with our sister agencies within California state government to Come up with a vision for how uh, we as a state would like to see autonomous vehicles deployed within California. Can can it reflect our values of obviously safety beyond that, accessibility, affordability, workforce development, and and many other values. And so we are in the process of putting together a strategic framework and, and value and vision statement right now And we are going to be working with stakeholders throughout the state and and making sure uh, they work with us and we work with them to create a future future action list for the state. What are the things we need to be doing as a state to to realize the vision of autonomous vehicles and so that they can be deployed in a way that helps everybody? So we're working on that right now. We're really excited about it. And uh, we're doing this in concert with our fellow sister agencies throughout state government.
0: So as public transportation has taken what I call a gut punch when it comes to ridership during the COVID pandemic, As uh, and now it looks like it's still not coming back. I mean, I remember when they were standing on TV saying 15 days to slow the spread, and now that was March a year ago. And so it's been a year now, but hopefully we're coming out of this thing. But I think we're going to come out different when it comes to the public transit side of things. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you see as the future of public transit? coming out of COVID?
1: Yeah, what I always like to say is that we need transit to not only survive the pandemic, but to thrive because transit has always been and will continue to be a lifeline for essential workers and for lower income uh, individuals and disadvantaged communities. And transit always has to be there. And so I truly believe that even though we are seeing ridership hit rock bottom levels right now, I really believe we are going to get to a point where ridership will will rebound. There is such a pent-up demand and hunger to to take transit, despite the fact that changes in the way we work are well underway with the rise of telework and those kinds of things. And perhaps the the the, dis, the discontinuation of the traditional 9 to 5 workday obviously transit agencies will have to adjust and be flexible and kind of re reimagine transit service to reflect the new reality but i do think transit will will thrive we need transit to thrive for so many reasons climate change being one of them and of course to meet the transportation needs of the essential workforce so i even though we're going through tough times right now i think the future is is bright and we need transit to do well in this country
0: speaking of the future what big future plans does your department have coming up
1: well in fact while we're on the subject of transit that's one of them we have something called the california integrated travel project or cal itp the idea is to develop a contactless payment system and not just for for payments but also for trip planning and real-time arrival information, and a system that can work on all 300-plus transit agencies in the state of California.
0: Wow, Um, David, that's very innovative.
1: Right. And so, of course, the nature of transit is every transit system has its own fare structure, schedule, all of those things. And just imagine if anybody in California can take one payment system, and use it on anything, whether it's BART, AC Transit, San Francisco Muni, LA Metro, you name it. And that would would be so convenient for for passengers, it would improve the user experience, it would increase accessibility and mobility. We are about to launch a demonstration project with Monterey Salinas Transit, which is a a bus, they don't have rail, It's, it's bus transit in the Monterey Salinas area very economically and, socio- and and ethnically diverse. And so it's going to be fascinating to test out the system on, on the Monterey Salinas transit system. We're excited about it. And we think the, the future is really bright when it comes to being able to use technology to improve the customer experience. And as many of your listeners know, using something like GTFS to get real-time information, I think that's key to improving the overall customer service experience.
0: That is. Boy, that'd be phenomenal. I can't wait to see how that develops. That could be a model for all the states. Where I remember Paul Wiedefeld and I were talking about that when I was at MTA and he was at Omada about the fact that our, our, fair, structure, our, our fair media, we had the charm card in Baltimore and he had another card down there. And the, the systems interacted. And I remember meeting before the state legislature and the legislature from Montgomery County placed were saying, we need our systems to link together. And there's something to be said for that. So I'm, I'm really excited you're doing that. What else do you have on tap for us?
1: Those are the big ones right there. There are are so many. I can keep on going. But we are are excited about the future of um, transportation and technology, and not just technology, but innovative solutions and strategies. And so one of the positions we created in my office is Deputy Secretary for Innovative Mobility Solutions. Oh, nice. The idea behind that I wanted one person in my office to be able to think about the future of transportation because the rest of us are, tend to be caught up in the day-to-day, especially challenges and, and crises of the moment. And so thankfully, we have a, a fabulous person in the job, Lori Pepper, who who has Maryland roots. Thank okay. you. And so her job is to think about the future, come up with plans, and make sure we we take steps towards that future so she is actively involved in, in things like autonomous and connected vehicles, Cal ITP, and many, many other areas. And so we have our eye firmly planted on the future and how we can improve transportation through technology, but not just technology, but also through innovative solutions and strategies.
0: That's awesome, David. So if people want to find out more about uh, you know, what you all are working on there, just go to the web and Google your department, or what's the best way to do it?
1: Yes. it's uh, The website address is Calsta, so C-A-L-S-T-A dot C-A dot gov, and uh, you'll find a lot of information there.
0: Excellent. All right. So, I've started a new thing now, where it's at the end of these interviews, these long-form interviews on Transit Unplugged. I'd like to ask the guest uh, a few personalizing questions, a lightning round, if you will, about some things, you know, about you. So, let's get started with our lightning round, David. First off, what hobbies do you have outside of work? I know it's all-consuming, but (laughs) what hobbies do you have?
1: Sure. I love music, sports. Uh, I love to read books and listen to podcasts, oh, including okay. yours, including yours, Paul. I do <laughs> That's listen. And so, um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, well, great. So, tell me about what's one of your most favorite books you've read recently.
1: Yes. It's called Stealing Home Los Angeles, the Dodgers, and Living Caught in Between. And this is a oh, book nice. by Eric Nussbaum. It's a story about the history of Dodger Stadium. Also known as Chavez Ravine. And the really difficult history involved in building that stadium, because at the time, and this was the 1950s, the city of LA displaced an entire community to make room for Dodger Stadium. It was a a predominantly Latino community. And when we talk about equity, talked about equity earlier, and transportation decisions of the past that displaced communities of color, this is a great example, not transportation but dealing with a, um, a sports stadium. And so it was a fascinating read about the history, some heartbreaking tales about families being torn apart and, and the rise of a stadium that that really changed LA. So fascinating for those who like LA history and Dodger baseball and, and the the politics of housing.
0: That's interesting. All right, how about music? What do you have queued up in your iTunes?
1: I love U2, Bono. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's one of them. I also go back to uh, classic rock of the 80s, groups like Journey and Boston, Toto, which uh, a lot of people oh, yeah. find surprising. But I, I think they're great, very talented studio musicians. They started out as studio musicians playing for Boss Skaggs. So I right. oh, I love I Boss Skaggs to. too, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, right.
0: yeah. well, that's good music. I think you and I have similar tastes then. And then oh. finally, do you have any pets? And if so, what kind of pet do you have and names?
1: I currently do not have a pet. I love dogs. And if I had a lifestyle that was conducive to caring for a dog, I would absolutely have one now. I heard someone say he would love to have a dog, but it would be completely unfair to the dog to have one because he's so busy. So I I will steal that person's line and say the same thing. But uh, someday I hope to be a dog owner. Absolutely love them. That's great.
0: And I guess one last question kind of to take us out to the horizon. What's the most exciting? It doesn't have to be in transit, but the most exciting trend you see happening in the transportation world right now as we as we close out the podcast. Where, where do you see us going or what's the latest trend and the greatest trend you see happening in the next five to 10 years?
1: Wow, that that is a, a, uh, a heavy question because. I think we're going to see more change over the next five to 10 years than what we have seen in the past 50 to 60. That's how fast yes. technology is changing. And so I don't think we even know what will be uh, in front of us five to 10 years from now. Just think back 10 years, there was no such thing as Uber or Lyft right? or e-scooters or e-bikes. And look how much the world has changed since then. So I don't know. I I, yeah. I, I have to think it has something to do with technology, perhaps, connected, autonomous, shared electric vehicles, maybe, but who knows what's coming around the corner. I think it's all about anticipation and that's always a hard thing to do, but I I think it's going to be something technology related.
0: That's good. Well, I'm hoping one of the big ones will be that high-speed rail. I want to get out there and ride that by 2030, man, and uh, and see that fun ride. That'll be amazing. So, hey, David, thank you so much. David Kim, Secretary of Transportation for the state of California here in the US. Thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing a little bit about your vision, your plans, and what you're doing right now to improve the lives of all Californians and really set a model
1: for the rest of the country and the world. Thank you so much, Paul. It's great to be with you. A real honor and uh, looking forward to staying in touch.
0: You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.